Hey, 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 welcome to the Pastor Duke podcast. I hope God's going to use me today to be a blessing to you. Topic for today, biblical race theory. Scripture speaks to racism. And I would remind you, scripture is never a theory. Scripture is the gospel. It's the facts and nothing but the facts. What we'll be seeing in the Word of God concerning race will be way simpler than what racism has become in world history and especially in American politics. I'm going to give the simple answer from the beginning and then swing back to it at the end. Here we go. Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. Sing it with me. They are precious in his sight. How about this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, uh, the world there would be all races. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Race will mean absolutely nothing in eternity. For those of us who love Jesus and have biblical worldviews now, race means nothing to us so far as we know how to love and treat one another. At the feet of Jesus, all are welcome and all are equal in value. Not equal in ability, but equal in value. Valuable enough for Christ to die for their sin. God wants and will have in heaven people from every nation, race, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Revelation 7 verse 9. So there it is in one paragraph the answer, the biblical answer to racism. All of the confusion of racism, prejudice, and discrimination are man-made and satanically inflamed. Racism didn't start with slavery in colonial America, and it's not the root of all American woes. Racism takes us back to the root problem of all humanity, All human depravity issues begin in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve fell into sin. In their fall and separation from God, holiness and innocence falls to sin and depravity. Man's intellect was darkened, his will became rebellious and self-centered. His emotions were perverted, which opened the door to everything evil, including racism. Huge point to lock in from the start. God only created one human race. We all have the same DNA and our blood is interchangeable. Up until the early 1930s, evolutionists saw the black race as something less than the white race. When education departs scripture, it comes up with the most insane and evil conclusions. Biblical creationists never believed that science bag of filth and lies. Within the human genome was fabulous diversity capabilities. God created everything perfect. And we witnessed that in most every species. We see it and celebrate it in dogs, all sizes and shapes of dogs with keen abilities that vary. So to ask, well, which is the right dog or the best dog is an ignorant question. I want a beagle to hunt rabbits. I want a pointer to hunt pheasants, but neither of those awesome breeds will do you much good trying to herd your sheep. I think you know what I'm getting at there. 
human genetic diversity unfolded soon after the Tower of Babel when God forced mankind to spread over all the earth. Through genetic isolation of gene pools, we begin to see what today we call racial features, hair textures and color, skin color, facial features. Skin color, ironically, is simply how much melanin we have or don't have. I guess you could say we're all the same color, shades of the same color. Whites have very little and want more. Isn't that ironic? And we go to the beach and we risk skin cancer to get more melanin in our skin while blacks like Michael Jackson labor to lighten his skin. How sad. According to Psalm 139, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made, but man is never satisfied with what God has done. He always thinks he can make it better. It's the foundation of biblical self-acceptance. You're fearfully and wonderfully made the way you are. Each race has certain dominant physical and emotional tendencies. Uh, it's to be celebrated. Asians give tremendous music uh, abilities to our culture today. Africans, athletics, dance, singing skills, unbelievable. If you ain't never heard a black choir, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's just it's just God-given. Caucasians have given much to the arts, uh, to industry. God made it all for completion, for celebration. Satan means it all for competition and division. What God means for good, Satan twists for evil. Racism is a satanically inspired, ugly reality throughout world history. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And it's hard to even get a consistent definition of the word racism today. It means so many different things to so many different people. And pretty much all definitions are dark and evil. The face of racism changes through the centuries. That's something you might consider uh, studying through. Uh, racism at its root is, I guess I would say, favoritism of one race with the rejection of another Prejudice is how we think before we have the facts and come to poor judgments and mostly evil. You know, uh, I got beat up by a black kid one day, so therefore all black people are bad. Or there was a white man who was a slave owner uh, 200 years ago, so therefore all white people are bad. Come on, man. Two plus two ain't five. Discrimination is acting upon the prejudice. Martin Luther King nailed it best, I feel, when he said, quote, judge not a man by the color of his skin, but by the conduct of his character. Spot on. My wife and I have been blessed to pretty much travel the world before COVID, that is. And that shed a whole lot of light on this sad and supercharged issue. First travels were to Sweden and Norway, where we were shocked to see a Scandinavian version of racism. There are basically no blacks, Hispanics, or Asians, so the Swedes tell jokes about how dumb the Norwegians are, and the Norwegians tell jokes about how dumb the Swedes are. They have a little bit of a lower view of each other because of things that went down hundreds of years ago when their Viking forefathers were beating up most of Europe. I don't get it, but uh, you can feel a little bit of that one-upmanship uh, from a Swede towards a Norwegian or Norwegian toward a Swede. It's this kind of a Scandinavian form of racism. Uh, it's not quite as intense as what we have here in America, but it's something that you really do see anywhere you go in the world. The next place I saw it, 
Uh, racism was in uh, Bolivia, where everyone is quite a bit darker in complexion than myself, which I would love to have their complexion. I'd trade them for it. They'd be glad to trade for my pale skin because the lighter skin you are in Bolivia, the more opportunities that afford you in their culture. The darker a Bolivian is, the harder it is for them to uh, thrive in their culture. This is absolute insanity in my mind, but they assure me it is their ugly reality. And I know they're not lying to me. It's just their version of racism. We have a black-white contrast here in America, which biblically is wonderful. But in Africa, where there were nearly no whites throughout the, <laughs> the ages, and there was no opportunity for that kind of black-white racism. They had tribalism, black-on-black -black crime. It was tribalist blacks who sold other blacks to white slave traders. There were black slaveholders throughout history as well. Uh, sin is no respecter of race. And at the core of all the slave issues of all of history is the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Greed led to illicit gain. And all races were guilty concerning slavery, shame on mankind, and more shame to those who did it most. Racism, like all sin, will not be fixed by legislation. It will not be fixed by reparations. It can only be fixed by redemption, by salvation. When a holy risen savior comes into the heart of a racist he repents of that sin his racial prejudices are transformed into love for those he once hated he sees the evil of his former heart and becomes a new man in christ there you have the answer to racism we see it all the time in our local churches when people worship together, stay together, love one another. Man, I love it when our Sunday school kids sit around the Sunday school class, sing the song I quoted to you at the beginning. Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. And they look around the classroom and they see red and yellow, black and white. That's the way it ought to be. I'm going off on a little rant here. I'm sorry, but I'm really not sorry. This is very precious to my heart. I think you can tell. When I look at the American slavery and race issues that still linger, number one, I see one wonderful fact floating on that sea of depravity and greed. So many of those black slaves in American history came to know Jesus. God's grace slashed through that evil and multitudes were born again. Listen to all those wonderful Negro spiritual hymns of praise. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forward to carry me home. While many of the slaveholders went to hell, a whole bunch of the slaves went to heaven. That's the good that came from the bad. Had they remained in Africa, I know God is big and God can do anything he wants, but you'd have to say at the human level, it would seem they had a much better chance to go to heaven from America, even though they were slaves and that was terrible. But none of them will be complaining in eternity. Number two, I kind of take that same thought forward with abortion, the genocide of our world today. I believe and the scriptures teach that uh, every aborted child is safe in the arms of Jesus and will have no complaints in eternity. As all of the redeemed from slavery, all of those aborted, uh, all who have been born again will be together in eternity. And that abortion evil of slavery will be from our former world. 
grace is still greater than all of our sin. I grew up in an unchurched family, no prayer praise around our table, no Bible studies at our house. I heard lots of vulgarities, cursing, the F-bomb that happened around our house. We were raised in the liquor business, saw a lot of the world's moral filth and ravages of alcohol in our face. Yet my parents got one big thing right. We lived in a 50-50 black-white neighborhood when I was a child. We had blacks in our home on a regular basis. I went to a racially mixed school, and many of my friends were black. I ate at their tables. They ate at our table. The N-word was the only cuss word. It was a cuss word at our house, and it was not allowed, even though uh, there was a lot of other cuss words that seemed to be allowed at our house. But uh, my parents just absolutely would not tolerate the N-word, and I'm very proud of them for it. And it's not a word that my kids have ever heard come out of my mouth. It's evil. It's wrong. Anyway, my first heartbreak on race came in second grade, sitting on the bleachers at Hedges Street School in Mansfield, Ohio. It was uh, recess time. The weather was so bad we had to stay in, and our class just finished a tug-of-war contest against another class. We're back in this, uh, in, sitting in the bleachers. My friend Eddie Scruggs, who was black, he's, his black right arm was right next to my white sweaty arm, and he said, I'll never forget it, quote, I wish my skin was white. I was shocked and almost cried. He told me what it was like to be black in white America. I had no idea as an eight-year-old how even to respond. I just told him that you're awesome, man, and I love you, and I hugged him, and it still didn't fix the situation, but it is something I'll never forget. We moved to a rural all-white area when I was uh, ending third grade. I would go to the Mansfield, Ohio YMCA dances, ninth through 12th grade, and have my black friends, some of them from grade school, try to teach this white boy how to dance. They had very little success, but they tried hard. We had a blast, and our race differences only drove us to love and respect and have a lot of fun with each other. All the while, I realized there were real racial inequalities I couldn't fix, but I would do what I could. We shared our booze. We shared our dope, which was not good at all, but it was a sharing part of it where we were screaming to one another across the racial divide that we think racism is stupid and we don't want to be part of it, and we love you, so there. So many racial injustices that haven't been fixed yet. I spent two weeks in Tupelo, Mississippi when I was 17 years old, and I saw racism at a whole nother level. I mean, it, a local liquor store owner, a white man, was held in great esteem by the white community for allegedly killing seven black men and getting off from all charges. Man, that angered me to the core that white people could think that that's a good thing, and yet it is what it is. On that same trip, I saw three barefoot black boys about ages 7 to 10. They were looking in the window of a Baskin-Robbins ice cream store. I had gone in to get an ice cream cone. When I saw them, I said, come on in, guys. Let me buy you an ice cream cone. They were terrified of me. I told them, don't be afraid. I'm a Yankee. I'm a hippie, man. I'm no, I'm no threat to you. I just want to bless you uh, guys with an ice cream cone. They were so polite and yet still a little nervous. It so saddened me. They must have thanked me a hundred times. Mississippi was a very different world 
than Ohio in 1971. And I know huge improvements have happened in Mississippi. This is not a slam on them. It's just the reality that I saw as a 17-year-old kid in 1971. I might not be able to solve racism, but I can do my part. When I have a black waiter or waitress, I, I double tip. I just do. Somebody said, well, that's racist. I, hey, it is what it is. When I bring up the name Jesus to a black woman in public, I got a 75 chance of getting hugged on the spot. I love that. Jesus seems to be more popular in the black culture than it is in uh, the white culture. I've poured my energy into preaching to black crowds uh, in city missions and county jails. I've led many blacks to Christ. I've baptized blacks and uh, in our church. Uh, we have helped start black churches in the Bronx, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Syracuse, and Utica, New York. We've sent dozens of missionaries of, to Africa. The first black student ever at my Bible college roomed with me his, on his survey trip to the school. Dwight Scott uh, was his name. He became a mighty preacher in Kansas. God bless you, Dwight. Love you, man, but only for eternity. Yep, my Bible college would not allow African Americans to attend the school from 1950 to 1976. It was kind of in the South. They would allow, ironically, they would allow Africans who were the converts of our missionaries in Africa. They were welcome, but not African Americans. That is so dumb. I helped in ending that biblical travesty. I feel really good about that. Our college is cool, and it's all integrated now. And it's, but it's sad that. Uh, that's where they were coming from. Even in the Christian world, there was racism. So that's the end of my personal rant. I've seen America come a long way, but we certainly do have uh, room for improvement. We don't see it so much today, uh, the question of interracial marriage, but it was a, a bigger issue up until recently. I have personally officiated three interracial weddings. So there you go where I stand on that. A while back, I had heard false teaching that interracial marriage isn't, is unscriptural. I say to them, well, Moses had a black wife, and God blessed him, and he, at the human level, was the lawgiver. There is no biblical voice for or against interracial marriage. I've heard, well, it's an unequal yoke. Uh, the verse they apply here, that yoke is not talking about race. It is talking about believers marrying unbelievers. So race, again, is no issue. What is an issue is culture. Healthy interracial marriages have to land on some cultural footing. Racism comes from both sides of the aisle. So my friends in racially mixed marriages tell me that culture can be a real test. Not all whites welcome it. Not all blacks welcome it. In my small circle of friends in this camp, they say the white community was easier to fit into than the black. I'm sure it's different for different couples in different places, but that's my experience. Today, the race card is played hard every four years in American presidential elections. Today, the critical race theory has crept mostly in unawares into our public education system, even our grade schools and high schools. The COVID schooling changes many parents became acutely aware and alarmed at the critical race theory. At the simplest level, it is reverse racism condemning whites, and that is racism. At a deeper and more sinister and scarier level, it is Marxism and divisive. 
The critical race intentions are to divide and weaken our nation, to force our nation into ultimately a new world order. It is a globalist propaganda agenda. Along with the critical race theory, the same educators are rewriting history, which is a lie. You can't learn from a lie. You can only be deceived by a lie. The same folks are tearing down statues of Jefferson and Washington and erecting statues of Lenin in Seattle. Yeah, Google it up. Uh, they tore it down from behind the Iron Curtain when it fell, and they planted it in uh, Seattle, Washington. I've seen it. The critical race theory is foundational to fundamentally changing America, as Obama said in his most famous speech. Whites today are no more responsible for slavery 160 years ago than Germans are today responsible for Hitler and Nazism 80 years ago. Or Catholics today for the Inquisition in the Dark Ages where Catholics killed uh, Protestants. It's not Catholic people's fault today. Most of them don't even realize it happened. History advances and hopefully some lessons learned. In our U.S. Civil War, over a million Americans died overwhelmingly white to end slavery once and for all in America. Post-slavery America got off to a horrific start and has greatly improved, but as we know, still has quite a ways to go. There is a huge difference between Martin Luther King and Al Sharpton. Martin Luther King was a race repairer. He was a Baptist preacher, a God guy, and a good guy who held his race accountable to living a godly life, staying morally pure and peacefully and prayerfully protesting. There was no violence from his side of the aisle. The violence all came from the wrong side. Martin Luther King would horsewhip a generation of black fathers who didn't marry the women that fathered their children. 76% illegitimate birth rate gives those children nearly no chance to really make it in our world. But even out of this moral mess, God still raises up the Ben Carsons of the world. If you've not read the Ben Carson biography, oh my goodness, what a giant among us. Racism never resolves by playing the blame game. Improvements always come when there is personal accountability with forgiveness. Thank God for the Jackie Robinsons and Hank Aarons of our baseball world, or Bill Russells of the basketball world, or Sammy Davis Jr. in the music world. When pride drives the agenda instead of humility, it will only lead to failure. God gives grace to the humble. Martin Luther King's God resist the pride of Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. King gave his life for the movement. Jackson and Sharpton got rich off of the movement. Martin Luther King promoted love. Sharpton promotes hate. I personally met uh, Sharpton. Wish I could have met Martin Luther King. History proves that throwing money at poverty only breeds more poverty. Giving opportunity and safety to the truly impoverished opens the doors of escape. 
giving money to addicts never delivers them from addiction. They must be held to accountability. I've seen third world poverty, which is so different from American poverty. American welfare families are among the rich of this world materially. Much of American poverty is generational and it stems from decisions of depravity. Stupidity and ungodliness are not respecters of people, black or white. Having kids out of wedlock is not a race issue. Any race which practices it will suffer. Illegitimacy is a sin. Sex before marriage is called fornication. It's a sin. People not willing to work is not a race issue. It's a sin issue. Prosperity requires opportunity, but it also requires accountability and dependability. Today, the government is paying people not to work, so they don't. And small businesses can't get laborers, so all the giveaway money is destroying our economy, which is Satan's plan to force a weak America into the new world order. This is Satan behind this. He's got a plan to to control the world, to have everybody worship him, and all this junk that's coming down our American culture is just biblically ignorant people falling into his plan. So Satan has used racism. Issues like almost no other to destroy our nation, breeding a spirit of entitlement. God said, if you're not willing to work, you don't deserve to eat. Fanning the flames of hate and justifying violence and carnage, cities burning, businesses ransacked and robbed, defunding the police. What are you crazy? Which has no stores wanting to be in the rough neighborhoods. They can't make it, they can't survive. And the most needy, the most hurting, Of all people in the poor neighborhoods, things only get worse. What they're doing doesn't fix it. It only makes it worse. Satan uses racism to accomplish his purposes. God resolves racism at the heart level. One by one, Satan breeds hate and violence. God breeds love and prosperity. I know I can't fix it, but I can do my part. Number one, I can set an example. Number two, I can pray, I can preach the same truths as Martin Luther King. Number three, I can hold a generation of whites and blacks accountable to biblical truth and sin issues. Number four, I can expose the race baiters, the critical race theory for the evils that they promote. And my conclusion, what shall it profit a race to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? I think of the slaves, it was the opposite. They lost this world and gained their own souls which was sad in one way, but eternally happy on the other. So I end where I began. What does the Bible say to racism? Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. Come on, America, when are you going to wake up? Come on, world. The way to fix this is uh, to find Jesus in a personal way, to worship at his feet. Get your mind saturated with the word of God. Get a biblical worldview and pray for wisdom and discernment. And God will make you a seer through her and not just a looker at her. Satan wants to use you as a pawn in his chess game to fight Jesus. Well, <laughs> it's a battle on for now, but we already know who's going to win. Jesus will come to a totally messed up world and take his bride home. 
we long and look forward to the rapture of the church of Jesus. So thanks for tuning in today. Love you. See you again someday. Bye-bye for now.